Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. There are two stories I want to mention here. The first one comes from the College Fix, where clearly uh, critical race theory is not going away, and the battle lines have been drawn specifically within K-12 education, as even the individuals who are mentioned throughout this clearly state that that is the front line of the war here. And so I'm going to read through that particular article, but then I want to get to an email that was sent to me from a previous guest who was on a, a couple of particular episodes describing the um, nefarious nature of their Marxist curriculum within their local school district. And I'm going to read uh, a portion of that email to you without giving too much else away, uh, as hopefully there's a little bit more to that in the future that, uh, that we can record here. But first off, from the, again from the College Fix, this is titled, Trending, Parents, Educators, and Activists Fight Back Against Radical School Curriculums. So this is a good thing, to say the least, but it does describe, again, how this critical race theory stuff is complete and utter nonsense. It just seeks to divide and hurt more and more people and create violence within environments where clearly they're not supposed to be. But some of the educators who are buying into the critical race theory nonsense, which again has been warned about for well over a century and been written, uh, written about at length. So here it goes, quote, Parents, educators, and activists are taking on left-leaning school curriculums in a variety of ways, from speaking out and filing lawsuits to crowdsourcing solutions and creating alternative educational resources. In California, for example, the group called, quote, Educators for Excellence in Ethnic Studies has banded together to lobby for the removal of critical race theory from the state's ethnic studies model curriculum. The group is critical to the California Ethnic studies model curriculum draft, which continues to be based on critical race theory. In an email to the College Fix, the group's leader, Lori Myers, said educators are on the front lines of the effort to ensure that our students have enriching curricula and a safe, secure learning environment. I'm going to stop there. First of all, again, as I tend to do here, I'm going to continue to sort of inject some insider baseball if anyone believes that teachers are in charge of curriculum, that's just not the truth. And that right there is one of the largest problems. K-12 teachers are told what to teach, and the curriculum comes from the district. And then that curriculum also comes from state school board associations. It comes from school boards. It comes from State Department of Education. So it doesn't, it, uh, depending on the state, of course, but it doesn't come from individualized teachers. Now, yes, depending on the school building, certain administrators will allow certain teachers to teach particular things, and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll just allow it, regardless of how radical it may be. But we're talking about an administrative problem here. If you have critical race theory being taught by educators, that should tell you all you need to know about the administrators running that particular building. That's the issue. So, yes, what goes on in the classroom matters, but if anybody thinks for a minute that the curriculum is largely driven by the individualized teacher, I assure you that's not the case. So it continues here, quote, Another activism group that recently launched to counter what its members contend is an extreme and radical curriculum in schools is no left turn in education. 
The group launched last fall and now includes chapters in 18 states. And again, I spent previous episodes that were unceremoniously deleted, of course, um, about No Left Turn in education. And again, it's a it's a positive group. This is a good thing. This is a group that, again, is seeking to weed out the Bolshevism within K-12 education. Uh, it continues here, quote, its members write letters to school leaders and share their concerns on social media, among other activities. Fishbein, the organization's founder, told the College Fix in an interview that it's the most dangerous arena in K-12 in K through 12 education. It's like Lenin said, give me your kids for eight years so I can turn them into good Bolsheviks. And that's what they're doing, she said of the left's push into schools. Not only are schools spending an enormous amount of time on, inject- on injecting poison into their hearts and minds, but also huge sums of money, Fishbein said. They're doing it on our money, she stated. This is our taxpayers' money, and they're using it to actually destroy us. Fishbine said that no left turn in education seeks to inspire and support parents as they reclaim the primary role in their children's education. No left turn in education members share concerns, support one another, and provide resources for each other in their fight against K-12 indoctrination. Quote, what I would like to accomplish is to see all those parents, grandparents, concerned citizens, everybody getting up, walking out, walking up, rather, and voicing their objection and pushing back to getting involved in the future of their family, their children, their communities, and their nation, Fishbein said. In addition to activism, some groups are producing resources to allow parents to become their children's main teachers instead of leaving it all to government-funded schools. PragerU recently launched launched PrEP, or PragerU Resource for Educators and Parents, an online community aimed at helping parents and educators combat what is what it calls the leftist propaganda being taught in schools. For decades, our schools have taught that America is not the land of plenty, but a nation of systemic oppression and inequality. Students learn half-truths or lies to make them feel ashamed of being American. We risk losing our youth to the leftist propaganda, its website stated. To counter that, PrEP offers podcasts as well as online discussion forums where parents can share ideas, experiences, best practices, and crowdsource solutions to what many patriotic parents and educators are facing, according to a news release from PragerU. I just have one issue with this. And then, again, this is a little more inside baseball here, but if educators are, if K 12 educators are putting their names, locations, and school affiliations uh, out on this PragerU site or podcast or whatever, and they're sharing that information, their jobs may be in jeopardy. Uh, They're putting themselves in serious jeopardy here. So again, remaining anonymous as a K-12 school teacher is both kind of recommended, but at the exact same time, it's very dangerous if they're not. Uh, anonymous within within such groups or associations because again administrators and districts can come after them and this is one of those hidden things that again many people don't talk about but it does happen in many k-12 schools in fact that's going to lead me here to this email so again this email was sent to me by a previous guest of ours and I'm just going to read it here because it kind of defines sort of the follow-up to that particular interview and some of the things that we discussed. It says, Sean, quote, 
Since I was on your podcast, the episode was shared far and, far and wide across the country. All board members were sent a copy, not by me, and at least two to three staff members in each school has reached out to me that they heard the podcast and agreed what was, that what was going on was wrong. I went and spoke at a school board meeting in December, and it happened to be the superintendent's evaluation meeting, so my husband and I had to sit through two hours of a parade of the best of the best of his ideas and have been, that have been brought to fruition. This included a student who was invited to hold a family ignite meeting, quote unquote, in front of the board. She showed off her personal website. Her school calls it Digital Blueprint. Teachers who are on the board with the PBL and Deep Learning spoke about how wonderful it is and all the opportunities it provides their students. If I wasn't so angry and been less prepared, it would have been demoralizing and a less grounded individual would have doubted themselves afterwards. To be quite honest, it was also a bit nauseating knowing the truth behind the show. There were, however, small bits of progress made. They finally took down the photographs and last names of all students on the school website. One board meeting was particularly appalled. One board member was particularly appalled by how easily accessible that information was. She had called me to walk her through how to get to the kids' personal websites. She was really the turning point in that. The rest is going to be an uphill battle. Most of this is because the superintendent is quote-unquote from here. If you've heard of the term old money, and you have old families, its well-established good old boy system is what they protect, and they protect their own at all costs, even when they know they're wrong. And when you're an outsider like myself and you shine a light on things, you aren't trusted and get some variant of, I grew, quote, I grew up with him, I know his parents, he'd never do that, unquote. The superintendent is part of the well-established families, and he's carefully curated his central office. Everyone from the receptionist, finance, and school board attorney toe the line. These are the things us regular folk know but don't talk about because of how deep it goes. These people wrote the book on cancel culture. It's been going strong here for generations. Within one week of this guy taking office as superintendent, all the central office directors were moved back into the classroom or some other position within the district because they're all under contract and couldn't be fired. Just to note, the former super was removed from office for mismanagement. School violence was rampant in the middle schools and high schools, and he tried to cover it up. I've talked to a former director who is afraid to speak out because of fear of retaliation. They have kids who still attend school in the district, and the spouse owns a business in the county. So there's little more to it than fear of job loss when someone decides to come forward. Even my friends in the press are staying away from this one. They covered me speaking at the board meeting, which was better than I expected, but it wasn't much at all. And I'm going to stop the email there to sort of protect the identities of particular individuals. But the point is, is that, again, the war continues here in K-12 education. And I, and I wish that, I just wish that uh, people in teacher education programs would teach them about this kind of, uh, teach their, you know, teach the future teachers of America about this kind of information and about what goes on. 
because there are K-12 school districts that operate like the mafia. They operate like the mob. They hire their own, and again, these are old, old tricks that stretch back to Frankfurt, Germany, the Frankfurt School of Europe back in the early 1900s, and it just continues to this day. But now, as we can see, it's in small towns. It's in small red towns, red counties, in red states. And that right there continues to highlight the problem of the infiltration of these kinds of behaviors. Because these are the kinds of people that are being attracted to these kinds of positions. People that are taking administrative jobs at this particular level, they love the money, and apparently they have no problem with the lack of ethics and the lack of morals. They love their paycheck. They love making that mortgage payment. But they have no problem kicking out the best of the best, implementing things like this Marxist curriculum that was going on in this particular school district, and then, of course, as the College Fix article highlighted, perpetuating the uh, critical race theory nonsense as well. Anytime you muddy the water, you're not an educator. Anytime you muddy the water, you're not an administrator. The object of the most effective educator is to make water more clear than it already is. And the only thing that does that, of course, is objectivity. The only thing that does that is reading. It's reading books, and it's reading old books and connecting those dots. And this, too, is something that, again, I've spoken about countless times, and I'll continue to say it, but this is something that isn't being done. This is not being done with the, um, among teacher education students. They're not reading old books. They're not connecting the dots. If you walked into a teacher education department right now and you asked any of their students if they know anything about the Frankfurt School, they would say no. They would say, well, what's that? That sounds like a school someplace, even though it isn't a school. They wouldn't know. They just wouldn't know about that. So the business of the history of education is something that has to be taught, and we're seeing the generational impact of what happens when educators aren't reading books, not connecting the dots, and they're not taught a strong foundation of the history of education, which means what are they taught? They're taught political ideologies, they're taught theories, not fact, and then all of that becomes the foundation of sand for which they build their entire career on. And then it crumbles in an instant. So the battle rages on here. It's an information war. It's a censorship war. Uh, it's a war of favoritism. It's a war of nepotism. It has to stop. We have to highlight it. We have to fight back against it. And the best way to do that is to just call these individuals out for what they are. And that's completely unprofessional, totally immoral not caring about reading, writing, and arithmetic, the well-being or academic achievement of their students when it comes to knowledge acquisition, and then you have to hit them over the head with facts, and it's that simple. And the older the fact, the better, because these individuals don't read history, and these individuals don't read books. Some of the most illiterate people that I've ever met are individuals within K-12 school systems, and that's not my opinion, that's actually a statistical fact. Again, go back and look at Thomas Sowell's book, Inside American Education. He highlights it perfectly in that book. They don't read. They just don't read, unless they're told to. 
And then the book that they're told to read is usually some radical theory book about how to teach a particular kind of student in a particular kind of situation. It's very small, it's very limited, and it's very myopic. And it's too bad, because that right there is why they fail. If they ever wonder, that right there is why they fail. It's a lack of literacy about the very thing for which they're being paid to do. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Don't forget to check out AmericanEducationFM.com, where you can make a small donation or even email us and be a guest on the podcast. Until next time, never stop learning, never stop reading, and never stop unlearning. Thanks for listening, and God bless.